we're talking about the history of humanity and how we have been influenced and it's like we we deserve to know that and we deserve the technologies that are being suppressed because it's really just keeping us in that prison Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the It Can't Be a Joke podcast. This is a place where we have open dialogue about a variety of different topics, such as non-human intelligence, corruption exposure, spirituality, and ancient history and mythology. Our mission is to expose the truths and knowledge that have been kept from humanity for all too long. With support and global consciousness, our aim is to bring down the military, pharmaceutical, banking, and oil industrial complexes who are responsible for endless wars and keeping half the world in poverty. I'm Melissa Green. And I'm Kevin Kelly. Let's blast off. Let's. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to episode five of the It Can't Be a Joke podcast. We got a whole boatload of stuff to discuss with you today. And I think it's going to be one of our most important topics that we talk about because every single person who listens to this relates to this. Yeah. It's it's very important. And we've had great past week. Yeah, we have. What have we done? I started, oh yeah, driving for Lyft and I'm going around because I've officially done with my Monday to Friday, nine to five job. Praise the Lord. And it feels really great. And um, so now just to make some cash in the meantime, driving around for Lyft. And so if you need a ride, you're out of the Massachusetts area. I'll try not to click that pin this time, but <laughs> you know, hit me up. But uh, it's really enjoyable. It's, I get excited every time I hear that ding. Like I got a new ride. I'm like, oh, it's like I'm at the casino. Yeah. Yeah, I've and never. It had gets that happen. your adrenaline going like, oh, yes. Um, <laughs> what else have we done? Uh, we're raising a puppy. So, yeah, Wallace is kind of growing and biting more and just being feisty, which is awesome to see. They're also bonding more, and it's so cute. Now I have to clear my phone of all the pictures I've taken because we got so many. I just uploaded to the two terabyte. Oh. So it's $10 a month. Oh. Whereas the whatever 100 gig was three or four or three bucks. I'm like, now I don't have to worry about it for at least another 20, 30 years, hopefully. Wow. Well, that's smart. So I'm just blasting off on the photos of them. We reached 300 plus plays on our podcast, which is exciting. Thanks yeah, for exciting. listening and and for liking and for engaging with us on social media. Yeah. It's been fun. And we're... We, Almost at 400 now, so we're very excited about that. It's very fun to watch, and if anyone ever has questions or whatever, shoot us over an email, send us a message directly on Instagram. We like to to chat with you guys. Yeah, have some laughs. Yeah. But it's time to get serious. What we're covering today is 9-11. Yep, the attacks on the World Trade Center, the three buildings that collapsed that day. And we're going to talk more about the three buildings. I didn't even know there was a third one until a few months ago when you told me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most in... people don't. Most people do not know that. No, it's it's incredible it's... that so many people still don't. They're like, huh? Just there's so much there's so much involved in the World Trade Center areas, and it's a lot to dive into. We're going to get out mm-hmm. as much as we can without overwhelming you. Uh, shout out to this wonderful documentary I saw back in 2008, Zeitgeist, the movie. 
it's about the history of our country, our banking system, the history of religions and our planet, ancient history. It goes back so far. They're going to talk about Jesus, but they're also going to relate the story of Jesus to the sun, Horus, the sun god, and how they have almost the same exact stories that 12 disciples, born of a virgin, all that they were the sun god, all these different correlations. And you see it across so many different religions. That's the first mm-hmm. part of the documentary. And for me, when I first saw that, I was just like, Ooh. completely zeroed in. And then it hits upon goes into 9-11. Then I'm just like, oh my God, it's a lot, but it's very important for people to see. And Peter Joseph is the filmmaker and director who stars in it. And it is a brilliant documentary. One of our favorites. Yeah, and he's made a lot of the Zeitgeist movies. I recommend watching all of them. We're still working through some of them because they can be pretty long. They are long. They're intense. Peter Joseph is also a composer, so he does commentary. His music's in his documentaries. They're so well-researched. They really are. We were doing research on a lot of the stuff we saw on the documentary and finding articles that do corroborate exactly what he's saying in the documentary. So it's, it's very reputable and... We're going to kind of break down a lot of stuff it talks about, but we recommend everyone watches that yeah. and sees it firsthand. Another shout out we want to give to Michael Rupert. Michael was an American writer and musician from Los Angeles. He was a police department officer there, actually. An investigative journalist, political activist, and peak oil awareness advocate known for his book, Crossing the Rubicon, The Decline of the American Empire at the End of the Age in Oil. He died in 2014, but he is remembered for the great work that he has done in the truth-seeking. Yeah, a truth-seeker. We went. We mentioned him in our previous episode about free energy. He did a great documentary called Collapse. And then we also want to give a shout-out to David Ray Griffin. Griffin was an American professor of philosophy, of religion, and theology, and a devout 9-11 truth-seeker. He died in 2022. He was an advocate of the controlled demolition theory, which we'll get into. He was a founder and member of Scholars for 9-11 Truth. He wrote some great books, a lot of great books as well. About 14 years ago, 13 years ago, I had heard from some people through the grapevine that 9-11 is conspiracy. And I, I remember when I heard that for the first time, I was just like, what, really? Like, the planes clearly, in my mind, I was like, the planes flew into the building. And I was so busy in college and everything else working that I wasn't able to spend too much time really focusing on it. And life goes on. But I know, Melissa, your story is a bit different. And you're the one who really turned me on and had me get redirected back to this topic. Now, can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's, it's a funny story. It was back when it was 2008. So I had watched Zeitgeist, um, right around, right after I discovered this, actually, this was before I watched Zeitgeist. There was a DVD that I watched. So Graduated high school in 2007. In 2008, I found out about this and I was taking a college course. It was just kind of one of my gen ed classes, English, and we had to write a 10 page paper, you know, a persuasive paper. And I chose the 9 11 event. And my professor was this gentleman in his mid 60s and he announced to the whole class, like, I really advise you not to do the 9-11 conspiracy if anyone's thinking about doing it. And I was like, 
I just, you know, gave him my topic and he tried to persuade me the other way. And I was like, no, I'm doing it. And so when I did the paper, he gave me like a 95% and you had to get up and present in front of your class. And I'm 18, but I'm just like giving them all these facts, starting out with all of the scientific facts about, you know, the actual like idea of the plane crash and the fire in the still building. And the kids just like looked at me like I was an idiot. Some of my friends from high school, like because of social media back then, I think it was MySpace, but they knew I was really against the Bush administration. And I don't know, they thought I was a kook. They thought I was kooky and just, I don't know. I mean, they called me an independent thinker, which I guess is a compliment, but they just kind of laughed at me. And then all the kids in my class just were did not understand why I was pointing things out and they told me like these are like tiny little details and it doesn't even make sense and I'm just like well you are a good example of people who trust the television what you see um, and my professor kind of had a hard time saying like no she she did a really well researched paper got a 95% from a guy who like did not want me to write this so it's hard to t- talk about with people because they've been told by the media that it's disrespectful to believe this conspiracy theory to the victims of 9-11. I'm like, that's one narrative. How about- How is that disrespectful? It was either terrorists that from the Middle East that killed them or terrorists from this country that have infiltrated like the CIA, the, the people mm-hmm. who plan behind the scenes and orc- we're going to dive into it. Sorry. And orchestrate it because they run through it beforehand. Or they have dress rehearsals for what they do and things that they have to report on. For Are you talking about the media? Uh, the government. The government. You know. The information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? They have dress rehearsals on how they're supposed to look? Not how they're supposed to look, but you know, for COVID, how they had all of those meetings. Here's what we should do in case there's a big pandemic that breaks out. And what I mean when I say dress rehearsal is tabletop exercises or war game exercises, which are discussion-based sessions where team members meet in an informal classroom setting to discuss their roles during an emergency and their responses to a particular emergency situation. It's just a bunch of crazy corruptness and people believe pretty much what eventually came out in the 9-11 commission report. Yeah. But you got a 95%. Yes, I did. And do you th- think that your professor was like, you blew his mind a little bit? Yeah, because when you look at the science of how the building fell, what a controlled demolition is, the fact that there were tiny bone fragments, a couple centimeters long, found throughout Ground Zero and beyond. That's crazy. Right, that they were, people were blown apart to smithereens, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. And all of the businessmen that were involved. It's really hard to deny that they're all very corrupt. When you get all of these facts in front of you laid out in 10 pages, it was just, I have to say, I, I researched well and I covered all of my bases. And I just said, here's what science and most Scientists and engineers will say when they saw the buildings collapse, they're like, something's not right about that. But most of us, 
wouldn't know. It doesn't make any sense how it fell. And I think we've all thought that too. I was in fourth grade when it happened. Anyone who was alive during that time, it's a flashbulb memory. You do not forget when you heard what happened. You do not forget what you saw on the TV. You were in seventh grade. Yeah. And so for us, it's like we, we lived through... It happening, and then the call for war, and then the huge, huge. It would be classified as nationalism, right? Like, yeah, America, let's go. Yeah, yeah. I'm a kid, so I'm just like, yeah, yeah, they they attacked us. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people were because we're all just in such shock on what happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it it makes people want to get up and stand up and fight for their country. Right. You know, so many people enlisted mm-hmm. and they were ready to go fight and die for this country because they 100 percent believed that some people had orchestrated this from the Middle East, from the desert. And it, mm. we all thought that we all thought that. Yeah. And there's there's a really big myth that goes around 9-11 um, and Zeitgeist is going to break this up for you guys, too. But the myth is 19 hijackers directed by Osama bin Laden took over four commercial jets with box cutters. And while evading the air defense system, NORAD, they hit 75% of their targets. In turn, World Trade Center towers 1, 2, and 7 collapsed due to structural failure through fire in a pancake fashion while the plane that hit the Pentagon vaporized upon impact, as did the plane that crashed in Shanksville. The 9-11 Commission found that there were no warnings for this act of terrorism, while multiple government failures prevented adequate defenses. That's what we've been presented. So, so many people were bought into going to war and going to the Middle East, but we all knew a few years after that, and a lot of people knew at that time too, if I wasn't in fourth grade, Mm-hmm. But oil, big word, oil. Yeah. So the Bush administration, they were in office. Dick Cheney, who was the CEO of Halliburton, one of the biggest oil companies. And he was the CEO right before becoming vice president, right? Yeah, he resigned in 2000. But Dick did not just come in out of nowhere. <laughs> And now it's time for this week's You Need to Know. Helping America wake the fuck up. Dick Cheney. Born in Lincoln, Nebraska, we do not claim him. He then grew up in Casper, Wyoming. He attended Yale University. He really must think he's much better than us, doesn't he? Stupid skull and bones, bitch. Before earning a Bachelor of Arts and Master of Arts in Political Science from the University of Wyoming. He began his political career as an intern for Congressman William A. Steiger, eventually working his way into the White House during the Nixon and Ford administrations. He served as White House Chief of Staff from 1975 to 77, where in 1978 he was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives and represented Wyoming's at-large congressional district from 1979 to 1989, briefly serving as House Minority Whip 
1989. He was then appointed Secretary of Defense during the presidency of George H.W. Bush and held the position for most of Bush's term from 1989 to 1993. As secretary, he oversaw 1991's Operation Desert Storm. While out of office during the Clinton's administration, he was the chairman and CEO of Halliburton from 1995 to 2000. And was kind of running things because if you were around watching the news when Bush was in office for way too long, wasn't the best speaker. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. <laughs> to fool me, we can't get fooled again. And him and Dick Cheney didn't have to abide by the law. They could go into meetings together because Bush didn't have the chops to, to back himself up in any of it. He you saw that in the live interviews. He was a, he was a goober. He was, <laughs> he was smoking Alabama Kush. We well, all know it. Well, he did a lot of coke in college. Oh, he did. Yeah. Oh, in Yale. Uh, oh, yeah. He went to Yale. He went to Yale. So did. <laughs> so did Dick Cheney. So did so did Dick, and so did Clinton. John Kerry. John Kerry, uh, Bill Clinton, and Hillary Clinton. Bill and Hillary went there too. Mm-hmm. And so remember, if you from one of the first episodes. Skull and Bones is the secret society that they're from. Secret societies, I I just think, are so creepy. Well, the and Skull and Bones also have, like, a symbol that they use, and it's, like, probably, like, making a cross with their... I don't know what it is, something with fists. Skull and crossbones. Okay. It's like, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, is that what it is? <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> I think so. People have said that they've seen George Bush making those... Like symbols. He would. I don't. Yeah, I. I wouldn't know that that is what he was doing though. That's how. His, it's so weird. Still living in his college days. I. So back to kind of the myth behind it. What we know. Both buildings fell the exact same way. It doesn't seem accidental. They collapsed that way. They both fell the exact same way. Don't forget. They these buildings have enormous steel columns that run up the middle of them that should withstand a plane. Mm -hmm. you, you could not find a desk, a chair, a cell phone, a computer, anything. Yet the hijacker passport was found blocks from the World Trade Center. Like that stayed intact. Right? Mm -hmm. But you couldn't find anything else. Also, some other background is that we've heard that there could have been explosions before the tower went down let's jump into the science behind what went down so the world trade the twin towers i should say they were 1300 something feet tall 110 stories each uh give or take five or six more stories if you count the ones underground basement. the basement yeah so the first building the north tower was a hit between like the 93rd and 99th floor. That's where the plane came in. And you think about, okay, there's still 110 stories high. There would still have to be 90 stories underneath of it to fall down. If it was a pancake collapse, meaning each floor, boom, 
boom, boom, falls on top of the other. That's what it is. But that didn't happen because the building collapsed at a free fall within seven seconds. And with what, 93, 92 stories underneath it, that's scientifically impossible unless the steel frame is blown out. Like you said, at the bottom, what was there? Just dust and rubble. So the second tower was hit at a slightly lower between the 75th and 80th floor. And it also fell the exact same way, like Kevin said, at a free fall within six seconds. That's not possible with what the commission report has stated and what the media outlets stated as well. And some of this footage is available because people held on to it when they were silenced back during all of the chaos. When the, I mean, some of those things came out. The guy who talked about what they found at Ground Zero, I mean, I saw footage that people posted online that they just silenced him. They just literally cut him off and cut away to a new story. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're out of time actually, but you know, they did that whole thing to scientists and engineers. And so then if you didn't know, World Trade Center 7, the seventh building collapsed. Again, this building was was not as high. It was like 47 stories high. Same thing, collapsed within five or six seconds, all into itself. And they said it was caused by debris and a few building fires. So we have World Trade Center 1 and 2. Those are the ones that most people, the Twin Towers, most people know about. Can you go back and tell, just explain World Trade Center 7. Like Mm -hmm. no one has heard of it before. World Trade Center 7. First of all, the World Trade Center Building 7 was owned by a huge... business tycoon Larry Silverstein and he bought the properties to rent them out and building seven had a certain number of employees but not just employees but people who would rent space in the building so in building seven you have all of these different companies like the Department of Defense, the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, um, other really big companies who worked there, the U.S. Secret Service. Um, You had American Express, a lot of banking companies, the IRS, Regional Council. You also have Provident Financial Management, Hartford Insurance Group, Federal Home Loan Bank, all of these big banking corporations, Securities and Exchange Commission, and the New York City Office of Emergency Management. So when that building, when they bombed it and blew it up like a controlled demolition, they basically blew up all of the files that were in that building. And Enron, who you probably remember back from maybe the 90s, they had all of these scandals going on. One of the biggest energy companies in the world. They had fraud all over the place. They had earned like somewhere around $100 billion in revenue in the year prior to 9-11 attacks. And they were being investigated. And all of that information The CIA, all of their files, everything that was being investigated on them, they didn't make a separate copy, and those were all destroyed when that building was blown up. It is crazy to think that 
we can go, majority of people, can, you can go on through life and not even know that there was a third building. Look it up. World Trade Center 7. And it falls the exact same way as the other buildings, but it wasn't hit by a plane. This- Some of the reporters that were, before everyone was silenced in the media, like people, some of people's honest reactions were like, it looks like one of those controlled demolitions. So that's that's a little bit on that information. And then Larry Silverstein in July of 2021, or excuse me, in July of 2001, he changed his insurance policy on the Twin Towers 1 and 2 to something where he would get awarded $3.5 billion. Um, this included a policy about any terrorist attacks. And after all that was said and done, because a lot of the insurance companies were like, we don't even have this amount of money to give you, to insure you. And basically, he wound up, after all was said and done, he got $4.5 billion from the World Trade Centers, and he did not put very much money up for it. There were people investigating what was going on um, as far as insider trading and, again, just fraud, fraudulent transactions between these businessmen and these banks. And they called a big meeting in World Trade Center Building 7. Um, The FCC was in there too. And so all of these people who were trying to be whistleblowers within the company, you know, some of them were like, had really high up positions and they were just trying to do justice, do what is right. And all of the corrupt people that orchestrated this meeting were calling from home. And then everyone in the conference room died that day. So the people the very the corrupt ones called in to the meeting mm-hmm. from their phones like you know those one of those big mm-hmm. office big, meetings big room with... the phones in the middle of the table yeah and silverstein wasn't there obviously but the people that were there was that exactly where the plane hit too or oh in building seven there wasn't a plane. oh yeah that that building was just they in the well, the thing of what we were just talking about in the 9-11 Commission report, it says that it it was nearby debris, which, yeah, the debris flew far because of explosives that were used, but because there were a couple fires on different floors, it weakened the structure and it collapsed. Also, what most people know is the Twin Towers collapsed. First, still buildings to collapse due to a fire, you know, city skyscrapers ever in the history. Period. Period. And if the pancake theory doesn't make sense because the columns, the steel columns Mm -hmm. would still be up. They'd still be standing if the pancake theory happened, but there was no still columns standing up. They were, everything was just dust and blown to bits and one other really important thing i need to mention about it is after the 1993 bombing at the world trade center there was it was harder for let's say silverstein to rent it out and make money there was actually a health violation with the infrastructure of the building they had been built the world trade center buildings in the mid 70s and they used asbestos which is a carcinogen, which they used all throughout the World Trade Center. They sprayed it on the steel columns. So it's this carcinogen 
that came out in the 80s that it was cancer causing. It was very toxic. And buildings like the Twin Towers cost Larry Silverstein millions and millions and millions of dollars every year to upkeep and to do everything that they needed to do to get them up to code. And he predicted that getting all of the asbestos out of the buildings would cost around a billion dollars. And there were reports, you can look this up on the internet, a lot of the first responders, firefighters, EMTs, policemen, all the first responders you can think of that were at Ground Zero have to this day are still developing diseases and cancer because of how strong the asbestos was and that poof, it was in the huge dust clouds that the explosive, you know how there's so much smoke. Yeah. Area schools had to do tests on their AC units and basically people were just like, you just have to assume that there's asbestos. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. So do you think that he also wanted to bring the buildings down because he didn't want to pay a billion dollars to get the asbestos out? Yeah, because it, people might also say, well, if that's true, then why didn't they just go after Building 7 where all of those you know, files were? Well, because the Twin Towers were the biggest money suck on him. Well, and they wanted an excuse to go to the Middle East. Oh, well, yes, right? that too. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking like that's got to be why they hit the other two towers too, to make a spectacle. And to get the people to rally, just like, you know, Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. People are like, okay, yeah, we're ready to go to war. Yes. Les Robertson. He was the structural engineer for building the World Trade Centers, the Twin Towers. Mm. And he, he said that they built those in a way that they could sustain multiple plane hits. Yes, exactly. And if a plane does hit, the fires they cause don't get up to 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit, which is how hot it needs to be to melt steel. So how did they... And all the engineers, they talk about that. The fires that the plane would cause, and this was part of, you know, a huge part of... Huge part of my... Huge part of... (laughs) Of what I was trying to explain to my classmates, and they thought it was, like, the dumbest piece of evidence. And I'm like... I was just like so frustrated. That's it's just important to know that the structural engineers have been on record saying we built these to sustain. They could sustain planes. And each floor, I believe, like most buildings have sprinkler systems that will go off. So that fire I don't know, that's probably not a good piece of evidence, but it's still like they knew exactly Well, we just know that that every single floor just suddenly just comes down in on it. It doesn't make any sense when you look Mm -mm. at it. Mm -mm. It doesn't make any sense at all. No. And after the collapse, you know, that we've all seen, we all remember just the huge pile of wreckage and rubble. Mm -hmm. There were hot spots of over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And doesn't that, that takes out the whole jet fuel burning hypothesis right because that's over 200 degrees fahrenheit hotter than jet fuel can burn in most controlled conditions yeah so like temperature and then heat are two different things like people are saying well there was this much jet fuel well because 
there's that much jet fuel, the science behind it, it doesn't change the temperature. It just means there's more heat, if that makes sense. Oh, the fire was bigger. The fire still didn't, the temperature didn't get hotter. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's not going to melt the steel beams. No. It's not hot enough. No. And that, that that's just insanity. So underneath all the wreckage, they got 2,000 degree Fahrenheit. They said it looked like a... Uh, a foundry like if you can okay for my lord of the rings fans out there let's go we're gonna mm-hmm. go to the city of dale right or no it's right it's it's the dwarven home oh god i can't be a noob right now this is my erebor erebor god uh, i was getting on the spot and i was getting nervous erebor imagine the molten you know metal flowing through the the place that that's basically they said it looked like a foundry with molten steel. Yeah, molten metal. And that was seen up to like three weeks after the attacks. I mean, that's that's some explosives shit right there. They found debris. In the debris, they found thermite. Mm. Oh, yes, I remember this. Refresh my memory, though. Thermite is essentially... It's used to cut through steel like butter, and Mm. it blows up like a dust. You can see that dust coming out of the windows. As the building's coming down, you can see dust, let's say 10 floors below that one, shooting out like thermite just blew up. Yeah, they call them squibs. Little little explosive, just poof, bit of white dust. Which will, it'll cut, basically, they, if they, put it on the steel columns. They blow it up. It cuts those steel columns right in half, like I said, like butter. And I remember you told me this. Weren't there teams of people that were working on the elevator shafts? Yes, there were. So there was a couple weeks leading up to the attacks. Um, One of the Bushes, Marvin Bush. So brother of George and Jed. George, yeah, brother of George and Jeb. So he was in charge of security at the World Trade Centers. And there was construction done on the elevators in the weeks leading up to the attacks. Um, I haven't done a whole lot of research exactly who that was. There's a couple interesting theories, but that is a fact. So Marvin, one of the Bushes, mm-hmm. was in charge of the security at the World Trade Centers. Yes. Dink? No. It's- no. It can't be a joke. It can't be a it joke. It can't be a joke. <laughs> um, In all seriousness, it can't be a joke. My God. So now we have 10 floors falling per second. Right. That's how fast this thing came down. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense at all. And another, another part that has to go with explosions happening. So... Basically, what we're just talking about right there is people were working on the you know elevator shafts that they can install the thermite bombs on them to explode at a certain time. Like the building will fall like that. And, and it's, it, it is what they do to control demolitions, get rid of old buildings that have been sitting around forever when they need to just... Yeah. Okay, no one's been using this building for 50 years. We really need to get rid of it. So that's what they use them for controlled and then it just falls in on itself yeah not one plane hitting the top of one of the strongest buildings ever made yeah exactly insanity so on the topic of explosives being set there is 
a man named William Rodriguez, who was a 20-year employee of the World Trade Center. And he, you, you can see him in the documentary. He shares his story. And, you know, I really, I kind of want to just, we're going to play that clip for you. Our office was on the B1 level. As I was talking to a supervisor at A46, and all of a sudden we hear, boom! An explosion so hard that pushed us upwards. And it came from the basement between the B2 level and the B3 level. And when I went to verbalize, we hear, boom! The impact of the plane on the top. It, like, when he shared that story, mm-hmm. it reverberated through me. I'm like, holy shit, I felt the boom. Yeah. It, it, like, he lived it. He He's in the basement floor. He hears an explosion so, so loud and strong that it, it pushed them up off the floor. Like, they literally took flight. Oh, my God. And he lived, and it... I really want to talk to him. But yeah, it's... also in the basement because they were explosives, the the walls, the cement walls in the basement were pushed out. And s- uh, there were some reports of like part of the Hudson River and water getting into places in the basement where people are like, okay, how is this happening? Doesn't add up. Mm-mm. Doesn't make sense. No. Huge explosion in the basement. Because they had to blow out a little bit of space for, I think that's what controlled demolitions do to my understanding. I could be wrong, but I think they kind of blow out the walls in the basement so everything falls into in that. Yes. Like a big pocket. Uh-huh. That, oh my God, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That it, they would blow that part up so it could all fall into there. So William's story is is wild. And there's there's a few different people who give their testimonies in the documentary. When there were first responders, EMTs, and firefighters trying to rescue people out of this building, in some of those clips you see from the news, they all start screaming and freaking out because they didn't know the buildings were going to collapse. Yeah, a lot of them heard bombs going off, and they were probably like, what the fuck? But I don't think with what they, you know, oh, a plane crashed, and now, now we're running to save these people. No one thought that the buildings were going to just collapse like that so no warnings about anything because it was a pure act of evil yes to do this yeah they mentioned oh we didn't have any warnings you can hear condoleezza rice saying we couldn't have predicted anyone flying a plane and bush said it too anyone flying a plane into a building exactly they said they had no warnings which we know is not the case we know that that's not true so two years before the attack NORAD, which stands for the North American Aerospace Defense Command, these are guys looking out for our best interests, conducted, ex- so two years before the, the first attack, NORAD conducted exercises using hijacked airliners as weapons, and one target was the World Trade Center. And there's a picture that I, I have that I want people to, yeah, to this- Google. Yeah, this is my point of how they do exercises. They like simulate things before they actually happen. Right. It's weird. Yes. And take a take a quick second. Google emergency response to terrorism self study. And it's going to pull up a picture from 1997 with the two what looks exactly like the twin towers with a target aligned on one of them 
So they were they were definitely preparing for something like this to happen. And so there's there's other operations as well. One of them is called Operation Moscow. This is a simulated activity where they crashed a plane into the Pentagon. Hmm. This was in October 2000. So a year before they had a simulated activity where someone crashes a plane into the Pentagon. So that was Operation Mascal. Also, the Federal Aviation Administration received 52 warnings of Al-Qaeda six months before the bombings, but did nothing. There was also a SEAL team, Able Danger, that they were told they can't speak to members of Congress or the Senate, even though they found two of the three terrorist cells. Another really crazy thing is how a lot of the hijackers were still alive. After it, like, they didn't die. Like, mm-hmm. one of them's recorded for saying... They just used his name? They just used his name, but he was living over... I can't exactly remember where, but let's just say he was just living over in India or Pakistan. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, when I saw my face and name on the list, I was in disbelief. Now, if he they, does, He said, I don't even know how to fly a plane. I don't even know how to fly a plane. So some of the hijack... Like, obviously, some of the hijackers are dead, but some of them aren't even... They're just normal people living their lives in a different part of the world. It's it's insane. And then we we also know that there were hijackers that lived with FBI informants. So the source here is CBS News. And they basically go on to talk about how there was an FBI informant who was speaking with the people who might be the hijackers. Two of the September 11th hijackers who live in San Diego, they rented a room from a man who reportedly worked as an undercover FBI informant, highlighting the lack of cooperation by the nation's law enforcement and intelligence agencies. They're not communicating. They're not warning about the disaster that's about to happen. They're helping coordinate it. Right. Now that is, once again, we're talking evil. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking cons- real conspiracy. This isn't a fucking theory. No, these are facts because we're going to get into who was actually in Washington, D.C. on the, the morning of the attacks. Yeah, Newsweek also broke a story that two of the hijackers were working closely with the FBI, but also another article alleged that the hijackers may have trained at U.S. bases. The source there, Newsweek. U.S. military sources have given the FBI information that suggests five of the alleged hijackers of the planes that were used in the terror attack received training at secure U.S. military installations in the 1990s. Yeah. Excuse me? The evidence is all right there that this was a fucking real conspiracy Mm -hmm. to get everyone support of going to war. In the Middle East. Yes, for oil and control. They were working with the U.S. military, and there were other people working with the U.S., specifically on the morning of the September 11th attacks. Osama bin Laden's family has a very close connection. It's not just Osama, Mm -hmm. but it's his entire family. It is claimed that some of his family was living in Falls Church, Virginia, Right next to the CIA headquarters. Very Mm. close to the CIA headquarters. Interesting. That seems a little too close for comfort. (laughs) Yeah, right. 
Another very interesting fact, Osama spent two weeks at an American hospital in Dubai and was treated by an American doctor and also met with a CIA member while he was staying at the hospital. Still a little too close for comfort here. This happened two months before September 11th. Osama flew to Dubai, 10 days of treatment at an American hospital there where he was visited by the local CIA agent. The source for that information is The Guardian, which if anyone wants to look it up and look up his stay and meeting with CIA members, it's, it's all there, it's at The Guardian. Another very interesting fact about the Bin Laden family is Salim Bin Laden, who is Osama's brother. He hired a man named James Bath to handle all the investments in the U.S. for the Bin Laden family. James was also a lifelong friend, an international guard pilot with George W. Bush. Mm. So, another direct connection. Indeed. Celine to James, James to George. In 98 and 2000, George H.W. met with the Bin Laden family on behalf of a company called the Carlisle Group. Now, the Carlisle Group has a big play in 9-11. Carlisle Group is a investment firm. Mm -hmm. They handle, you know, managing assets and they have billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars mm -hmm. that they manage. Yes. There was a lot of insider trading that happened right before the attacks and then through October and the following months. Around what I talked about with Larry Silverstein, people who owned the World Trade Centers, like I said, Marvin Bush with the World Trade Center security, you know, his company, his uh, security company that he was CEO of was their security system is what was running the World Trade Center. So the security like system, the software was owned by the Bush administration. And then you can go back all the way to a man named Wirt D. Walker III, who was related to George H.W. Bush. Um, he was a private international businessman. He had his own investment firm and brokered international business transactions. He engaged in special situation investments, provided capital, corporate finance, and investment banking services to companies. So his company along with Deutsche Bank, Larry Silverstein, they were all using this new security software, this cyber security that they were allowed to funnel money through. So certain transactions would happen and that's what some whistleblowers came out about that were either just cut from their jobs, demoted. And Wirt D. Walker III also went to Yale. Oh, and bones, man. Probably. But one of the companies that had investments in all of this was the Carlyle Group. And according to Michael Moore in his famous documentary, Fahrenheit 9-11, the Carlyle Group had connections with George H.W. Bush and his Secretary of State, James Baker. Both of them at a certain time in their career served as advisors to the firm. So it was claimed that the Carlyle Group gained from the September 11th attacks because it owned military contractor United Defense. 
So like United Airlines were the planes that were flying and so many people took stock out of United Airlines right before the attacks because their stocks plummeted. And so did all of these investors like Carlyle, JP Morgan, people who had bought stocks with these companies, they knew they were going to crash. But JP Morgan and all those companies because of insider trading said, hey, buy share in Raytheon mm. because those shares went up 37% because they knew they were going to be developing weapons of... Missile systems. Yeah, missiles um, for the war that they were wanting to get all the Americans on board for. So all of those companies have ties together. And Wart D. Walker started doing business. Um, he, all of his partnerships and investment partners were in the United States, Europe, and the Middle East. He had more than 30 private trading companies. And then the CEO of Deutsche Bank wound up becoming number three in line with the CIA. And then back to Larry Silverstein, the insurance the guy who yes. pulled the insurance yeah. and made billions on billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, it was the biggest insurance payout in history. At the cost of 3,500 people yeah. being murdered. Mm -hmm. They knew about it. Yeah. And all of these corrupt corporations that we've been mentioning in all of our episodes have stake in this. And it needs to be known. Yeah, Robert Baer was the one who worked for Deutsche Bank, then became third in line for the CIA. And it's just like, it's insane. It was the largest insurance settlement ever. So basically what came out of all of that insider trading that happened leading up to it was Silverstream, which is part of Larry Silverstein's empire. And... That was created for the purpose of paperless transactions. That's what I'm trying to say. So all of this insider trading done electronically. And that was kind of new. Yeah. You know? The dawn of the credit cards and all that was not very long before this. Yes. You know, it was pretty re recent in terms of 9-11. Yes. And so Silverstream had already built internet-based transactional and trading platforms for Merrill Lynch, Deutsche Bank, Bankers Trust, Alex Brown, Morgan Stanley, and other financial services firms that were later involved in 9-11. Um, but this project was something like brand new that they hadn't ever attempted before. So yeah, that's how the Carlyle Group ties into all of that corporate corruption there as well. Is anyone noticing a theme here? <laughs> and, and who is responsible for all these things we're talking about? We got large banks, investment firms. We have oil. We have all the oligarchs that control all the money. They're the reason behind people's madness yeah. in this world, in this world that is being created, the simulation, mm -hmm. this fabrication of reality that we're being forced to live in. That's only half the information we have on this subject. So join us on the next episode, 9-11 part two. Remember to follow us for updates. Just search for It Can't Be a Joke on Instagram, X, YouTube, and Patreon. What are your thoughts on this episode or stories you'd like to share with us? We want to hear from you. Shoot us an email at it can't be a joke at gmail.com. 
and don't stop looking up.